Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Believe in the Jaguars right here on the Believe Podcast Network. I am your co-host, Phil Smith, a.k.a. Phil the Filipino. And as always, I am joined by my co-host, my partner in crime here, the managing editor of the Jaguars Wire of USA Today. Jay, how are you doing? Uh, Pretty crazy weekend, and I know we got plenty to talk about, so so much to talk about, in fact, that we're going to have to break down the entire draft into a couple of different episodes. Yeah, man. Glad to be back. Glad that, uh, in a way, I'm glad that the draft is over because it was a strenuous process. Uh, glad it went well, though, despite, you know, it being a very different, unique draft that uh, was done digitally. I think, I mean, I, we can agree upon this. I think it went well for the first ever digital draft period. So, you know, I, I'm glad that part of it went well. And now I'm ready to talk about the picks, the aftermath uh, this, that, and the other, and then we can start looking into the regular season after that. Yeah, the nice thing is it went off pretty well as far as the the you know the the digital draft, and no no real big hiccups. Uh, definitely some highlights and some interesting moments for sure. But uh, overall, like you said, a, a really really solid experience, and and kudos to the NFL and everybody involved for pulling it off. So of course. Uh, We're just going to speak on the first round draft picks because the Jaguars, of course, had two picks here in the first round. We're going to discuss that and then some initial reactions, along with some details from the presser from round one from general manager Dave Caldwell and head coach Doug Marone. Uh, Before we do that, though, I want to make sure and, and also give a shout out first to those of you who have gone on to Apple Podcasts and left us a five-star review along with some comments. Those are really, really awesome to read every single time. Thanks so much for that support. And of course, you can find us on all your favorite networks. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Of course, you can find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. You can find myself at Phil the Filipino, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O. You can also find Jay at sportsgrind underscore Don, and you can follow the Twitter account, uh, which we've been very active on as of late at Believe in Jags Pod. So you can find us um, a, a lot of different places here. But Jay, I guess before I start and go into the picks, I do want to discuss the poll that we put out uh, because it has been about a week since we put out an episode. And the poll, of course, was who would you like to see the Jaguars draft? And uh, now we now have. Uh, Obviously, we know who they went with in the end, but uh, the number one pick was Jerry Judy with 47%. Second was Derek Brown, 35%. CJ Henderson came in at 9%, as well as other. Um, and we asked people to go ahead and comment who they would like to see. We saw names like CeeDee Lamb, Tristan Wirfs, uh, Jedrick, Jedrick Wills, Andrew Thomas, people like that. But of course, ultimately, the pick at number nine ended up being C.J. Henderson. And Jay, this is something you actually asked Daniel Jeremiah on the conference call about a week and a half ago. Is this something viable and something we could expect to see? And he definitely said it was a possibility. You know, word came out as this draft process continued that Jacksonville was very much interested in C.J. Henderson. Um, There wasn't really, you know, there were some talks about them possibly trading up for a player. Of course, that never came to fruition. So, Initially, and, and I'll, I'll uh, talk about it here in just a second, but I'll let you go first. So when the pick came through, number nine, no trade. They stand packed at number nine, and they go with defensive back C.J. Henderson 
out of the University of Florida. Yeah, so uh, I guess I'll start by talking about my my uh, initial reaction to the pick. And I was on Zoom actually with uh, you and Josh, uh, which was a fun experience, and Eric as well. Shout outs to them. And uh, I was one of the people that got the pick early that time around. Normally, I'm late because my TV is behind, but <laughs> the wire gave me the pick early. So, of course, eventually it came out who it was and, and what have you. But I wasn't I mean, my initial reaction, I wasn't shocked that the Jaguars went in that direction. But I do feel like the polls said, actually, you know, it was players that they probably should have went with over him, especially, you know, Judy or. I, I do understand this now. The tackle that they probably would have taken, and Dave Caldwell kind of alluded to this, and we'll talk about that a little later, like the presser they had after or whatever, or the um, presser for their, from their homes. But I do think maybe they would have went Andrew Thomas if he was there. That was the guy they probably had highly rated on their board in terms of the tackle position. But, of course, he went fourth overall to the Giants. So that kind of probably stuck a fork in that. So I understand it from that perspective. Uh, but, yeah. Just looking at the board at the time, Judy was a guy I was eyeing. Um, we were hoping Simmons fell, me and you, and that kind of got uh, disrupted early or, or the pick before by the uh, Arizona Cardinals. When you step back and look at it, I think, you know, it makes sense. Again, I asked Daniel Jeremiah about it because this has been the buzz for quite some time now. Uh, and, and when you look at when they took him, I think it's telling that when they took C.J. Henderson, that the trend that followed after him with the cornerback position, I think at 16, it was A.J. Terrell who went to uh, my, my second team, the Falcons. And A.J. Terrell was a guy that, you know, we were talking about as a second round type of guy. And then Damon Arnett went uh, at 19 after that. And then Noah Igbenogany, uh, he went at 30. And then Jeff Gladney went at 31. So I think like that to me, and Eric kind of alluded to this in our Zoom I think to me that kind of says that a lot of teams had C.J. Henderson rated high. Um, and, and not only that, they were higher, the, the NFL and all 32 teams, I think that says that they were higher on uh, C.J. Henderson than we were as fans. And you see that a lot sometimes. Like sometimes the actual front offices are higher on these players than draft Twitter, so to speak, or, or just the Internet in general. And that may have been the case with Henderson. It, and it, I know it's even Florida Gator fans that wanted to go with Judy over Henderson. But nonetheless, they got Henderson. Um, I think they're getting a very good cover corner. Uh, you all know how I feel about that. But I think, you know, there's some things, of course, in his uh, technique that he needs to clean up, his man-to-man -man technique, which I've been saying, you know. And what I mean by that is, like, how he makes contact. Sometimes he has a tendency to lunge and man-to-man coverage and don't get the proper contact on a player. But look, that's stuff that all, that's all fixable for the most part. Um, I, I know people also harp on the tackling, but look, you don't really draft cornerbacks for their tackling ability. Uh, although that is a nice plus to have, you know, that that's something we said with Jalen Ramsey when we took him and there's others out there that we've said that for. Uh, but that being said, when, when you look at it uh, and step back and look back at it, you know, at the end of the day, as long as he covers well, I think he'll pan out. He's a guy that they're going to use to eliminate people's number ones. And, uh, you know, I think in due time, you know, he'll he'll get everything down. And I think he will be able to do that. Uh, but, you know, that doesn't change the fact that they could have went in another direction, in my opinion. Yeah, I can definitely admit at uh, at the, you know, at the time, I was pretty upset about it, just like you said, because there were definitely other directions 
they could have gone. Now, of course, the most appealing and sexy pick is going to be that receiver, especially for fans that really want to see Gardner Minshew succeed here in Jacksonville. And that's understandable. You know, Gardner is the guy around here. You know, people want him to succeed. They want him to be part of the long term future here in Jacksonville. I totally get that. And also, I think teams are the fans are just sick of going to games where the team can't put up any points. You know what I mean? It's uh, when you talk about the entertainment factor, the team just doesn't really have it right now. Yes, they have a Pro Bowl wide receiver in DJ Chark. Yes, they have a running back that can occasionally break off a big run. But ultimately, it's a team that's just not very exciting on the offensive end. So I totally understand that. I would have preferred to see them go Javon Kinlaw. Um, Of course, we were all holding our breath thinking, oh, my God. Is this going to happen again? Is Isaiah Simmons going to fall to to us at nine? And it seemed like Arizona sprinted to the to the digital podium to make sure that he was not available for us at nine because that kick that pick came in very fast. And of course, everyone was thinking up until you know up until the day of that Arizona was going to go offensive lineman. But of course, when there's a guy available like a Isaiah Simmons then you you go get them. So uh, I'm just like you said, Jay, they're definitely you, you take a guy at number nine in the top 10 at defensive back, fully expecting him to be a number one shutdown corner. Now, Daniel Jeremiah in that conference call that we keep alluding to did mention that he is a better athlete than Jeffrey Okuda, uh, but Jeffrey Okuda is the better football player. So he does have some things to clean up um, as far as locating the ball. I think when it's in the air. But, you know, when you watch the tape when you, and, you, and you really break it down, you know, he's played against top tier competition his entire career. Of course, he's in the SEC and you can say what are they, you know, whatever you want about the SEC bias. But those guys are panning out in the league. You know what I mean? So they are playing against the best competition that there is to offer in college football. And CJ played very well. So as the night went on and as the days went on, uh, I, I did be uh, accept the pick uh more so I, I still believe they could have gone maybe a different way however you know looking at it now uh, and not just in my emotional state at the time i am uh, much better with a pick because i definitely do not think he was there at 20 and one of the things that that dave did allude to in that presser is it didn't seem like they were too many suitors for that ninth pick now if isaiah simmons had fallen to them maybe i would like to think that hopefully if he did fall they would have taken him uh, but it didn't seem like there were too many teams interested in that nine pick, which is what we had really ultimately thought was going to happen. So, yeah, definitely hope that it pans out. And I think CJ has a lot of upside. Um, but I know, Jay, you had a, a couple other things to add on as well. Yeah, I wanted it was some things I wanted to chime in on that you said there. Uh, first, starting with the uh, the part you were saying about uh, there probably was an interest in the number nine pick. I think it was Mike Silver. Don't quote me on this that uh, from in. NFL.com that uh, spoke on this. I think one team did call, but that doesn't necessarily mean like the pick was hot, so to speak. Uh, But I I think one team may have called from what Silver was saying and Jason Litch, and that's the GM from uh, the Tampa Bay Bucks. And I'm assuming they maybe wanted to, I forgot who they took in the end, but I think maybe they wanted to trade up and get a tackle, offensive tackle or somebody to protect Tom Brady's uh, blind side. So I think that was interesting, but I think like the Jaguars just felt like taking Henderson there was the smart way to go because, you know, that's who they ultimately wanted. um, I guess you could say, and they, well, I think it was more so that they were scared that if they traded back, that they wouldn't be able to get Henderson or one of these players that were highly rated on their boards. So 
Uh, I think that's something to consider. Um, and, and in terms of Henderson, now one thing that people have told me, because a lot of his tape I did watch was from 2019 before the draft. Um, I, I think I did see one 2018 tape, uh, but shout outs to Daniel Griffiths, who did a lot of draft work with us this year. Um, I was so glad that he came through to help me. But um, yeah, one thing he was saying that he actually goes to the University of Florida and is a lifelong Florida Gators fan. He was saying uh, for the fans out there, maybe one of the things that people want to go back and look at is 2018's tape of uh, Henderson, because and I've seen this, too, in scout reports, his 2018 tape was significantly better than his uh, 2019 tape. So that's something I'm going to go back and look at, too. Like I said, I only saw one of his games from 2018. The rest of them, it was like four games from 2019 that I saw. Uh, And then another thing I want to talk on, what you said about putting up points. Yeah, I I think I agree with you on that. Like fans are tired of, uh, you know, this defense wins championship type of mentality. And I think they are ready for a change. But I think one of the key things to remember about that is when you look back at the past, especially, and Dave Caldwell has said this, I think like that's just their philosophy and their mindset is to build defensively because Dave Caldwell has said, and this was before Doug Marone was there. I think it was actually when Gus Bradley was there, and this was in the beginning stages of Dave Caldwell's career. Uh, but he always did. I remember him saying that um, basically it's easier to build a defense than it is to build an offense. And he's right, too. And I think that's because of how important the quarterback position is and how hard the quarterback position is to hit on. Now, if you have the guy at quarterback, now it's, it's simply just easier to build around that quarterback and you're good to go, basically. You know, it's, I don't think teams have trouble or the Packers will have trouble building around Aaron Rodgers because they know that quarterback spot is solidified, uh, so on and so forth. You know, and there's other teams out there, you know, Deshaun Watson and uh, Lamar Jackson from uh, the Ravens and so on and so forth. So I think for the Jaguars, they probably aren't sure that they have the guy to build around on offense. Um, and I think that kind of complicates things, although that's what we want them to do is to build around Gardner Minshew and, and put the the nucleus around him to help him succeed. Uh, I think it would be easier if they concretely knew that Gardner Minshew was the guy is what I'm trying to say. So uh, and the last one uh, that I wanted to chime in on that you said uh, or something you mentioned was the Simmons thing. And um, the interesting thing about Simmons is going back to that Mike Silver article. I I think I re- recalled them saying or Mike Silver mentioning this, that the options at the time for Jacksonville when Arizona went on the clock was um, it was four people. But it was Henderson. It was they they considered Chase on there, too at number nine, and it was two others. But the interesting thing about that was, uh, if I can recall correctly, Simmons's name was not on that list of the four. So even if Simmons was there, it's possible the Jaguars wouldn't have took him, as crazy as that sounds. So I forgot to share that with you before we actually started talking about that. But I I read an article on that somewhere, and I was like, I was stunned. Basically, to me, that says, if this is true, uh, if I read it correctly, if Simmons wasn't a part of that four, this says to me that they value Chase Son as a better athlete than Simmons, which is, uh, that, you know, I don't know if a lot of people would agree with that or, or you know, a lot of other draft boards would agree with that. But I found that interesting. And um, I, I think it might have been Jerry Judy or um, one more lineman or something that was on the list with those two. But I found that interesting. But that being said, yeah, those were the things that I wanted to chime on based off of what you had just said. Boy, I <laughs> I cannot imagine what would have happened to Jaguar Twitter, Jay, if Isaiah Simmons is on the board at number nine 
and they go in a different direction. Uh, I definitely understand, like you said, teams view and go through this process completely differently than fans do. Fans, you know, kind of see things really just on the base layer, whereas, you know, the scouting team, they, their responsibility is to look beyond that. But I just cannot imagine how, how Jaguar social media would have felt if Isaiah Simmons was on the board and they did not take him. I'm honestly kind of glad that that did not happen because Jay, you and I might have, I uh, mean, might have had to shut things down for a little bit. I don't know if we'd be able to talk about this team <laughs> for a little bit. So I'm honestly yeah, kind of glad that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, so yeah. So that being said, uh, you know, you did, we, you did just mention him as far as their 20th pick, which is of course the pick they acquired from the Los Angeles Rams for Jalen Ramsey. I've always, Jay, I don't know if you found it ironic, that it ended up being pick 20, which was the pick that we got for Jalen. I thought that was kind of funny. But, of course, they went Kalevon, uh, Kalevon Chase on from LSU. Um, of course, there was, uh, there was footage of him working out in the Jaguar gear during the draft process, and that, you know, turned a few heads, and he ended up being the pick here at number 20. Uh, a, a guy that I wasn't as well-versed in, so I'm going to let you pretty much take the lead on this one. However, definitely a guy I'm really excited to see pair up with Josh Allen uh, as well as, you know, that young defensive line with Taven Bryan. So I'm really excited to see what he can bring to the table. Seems like a really good athlete. I think some of the concerns about him, Jay, and correct me if I'm wrong, were injury history. So if you want to elaborate a little bit on that. Um, but, you know, it's definitely not a coincidence that the picks that they went with are going to be replacing the two that are, one is already out of here and the other one is most likely on his way out of course, with Jalen Ramsey and Yannick Ngakwe. So talk a little bit on the Caleb on pick, and how did you feel about that one when that one came through? Yeah, we weren't shocked with Henderson, but I think we were even less shocked by this one because we were going over scenarios on the Zoom in our head, like who who could it be? And we were thinking, you know, receiver or or pass rusher. You know, it was either going to be like Jefferson or a Denzel Mims, who actually went significantly uh, lower than we thought. Uh, he would. He went in the second round and he was around in the second round for quite some time. If I can recall, he went to the Chicago Bears. Uh, but, yeah, we were thinking somewhere in the along the lines of a receiver or a pass rusher. And they took Chase on and that, you know, that was right about where he should go. So I don't think that was a reach or anything like that. And actually, you know, J- Doug and I think it was Dave was saying they thought he wouldn't be around. Um, at that point, and I guess rightfully so. If they had him highly regarded at the number nine spot, I would assume they really didn't think he would be around for pick number twenty. If it, uh, that's all true, so yeah, Caleb Von Chason is is a guy that I watched uh, quite a lot of LSU because of my ties to UGA, obviously, and just because I mean they have so many like guys that stood out in terms of the defensive and offensive side of the ball. But, yeah, he's a guy that, you know, like you said, the injury history is there. So I know he tore his ACL. I think that was in 2018 and missed the whole season. And if I can recall, he missed two games in 2019 uh, with the ankle issues. So, I mean, he was a guy that didn't necessarily, you know, that was my big thing in the Zoom when we were talking is he didn't necessarily see the field a lot. And, you know, me, I'm I'm the type of person that I like to see at least like two good years of film, you know, like at least two good years of film. I mean, you don't have to necessarily play in all of the games in each of the two years. But the, what I'm saying is the body of work is so limited for him 
But when you when you look at him on film, the thing about it is the few games that he did play or the games that he played in 2019, he really, really looked like a guy with a lot of upside. So in other words, this we're looking at a guy that's like, to me, he's a big boom or bust project or, or a boom or bust prospect. And I say that meaning like, I think like with Caleb Vaughn is going to either be really good or it's going to be really bad. And I think one of the keys here that we may be overlooking and one of the reasons I guess we can kind of have faith in this, and I know a lot of people's going to laugh at this part, but um, I think that Todd Wash, albeit we have our gripes about him as a coordinator, and I don't even know how well he's going to do uh, with this new 3-4 movement, which we're going to talk about too. And, and you know, they're going to be a 3-4 base team uh, more often than not. But all of that aside, one thing about Todd Wash that we can say that was successful about his run so far is how he's coached up Yannick Ngakwe and how Yannick Ngakwe has come along. And I think that's a key to look at with Calevon here is uh, can Todd watch if he's around, you know, he, who knows, he might not have the season that he wants under this three, four scheme and maybe Doug Marone cuts ties, who knows, but Doug Marone has been pretty faithful to him. So, you know, it's just right now you just don't know, but you know, I think that's a key here. I think, Todd Wash, maybe, you know, if he sticks around, can maybe groom him into being a very good pass rusher. So, you know, he's a guy in terms of like the pros and cons, aside from the cons that I just named, uh, in terms of uh, the other cons is, you know, when I watch him on film, one thing that I notice he needs to better keep his balance. That's one thing about it. And, um, you know, that was really one of the major stand. It's, it's times where like he just isn't in control. And I would like to see more control from him in terms of the pros, man. Like, you know, I've seen comparisons of him to Alden Smith. I think that's very fair. I think like, you know, he's a guy that it wouldn't shock me if he ends up having like an eight to 10 sack season or wouldn't shock me if he ends up looking really, really bad like DJ Chark did in his first season, which, you know, that doesn't mean pull the plug on a young man if he doesn't have a successful rookie season. But a uh, phenomenal athlete. Uh, he bends well. Uh, he's a guy that I saw. Uh, he struggled a little bit. He struggled a little bit against uh, my boy from Georgia, Andrew Thomas. But you know, it was a it was a string of games where he like put up like five or six sacks, something ridiculous like that. So like when he was on the field, he was very impactful uh, for the most part until they played UGA. But for the most part, he was very impactful, especially in that Clemson game. And I think you know if the Jaguars can harness his talent, I think they'll have a very very good player on their hands. Yeah. And I think the good thing is, as I've already, as I mentioned before, is he'll have the opportunity to play with Josh Allen, who just spent the year learning from, of course, Calais Campbell. And, you know, he doesn't necessarily have to take on the burden of being, you know, the main guy because the sky is the limit for him. I think you mentioned that Jay, he has a lot of potential. I mean, he's, he's explosive, you know, definitely explosive, Right off of the snap, I mean, the guy can he you know you, you talked a little bit about in the previous episodes about wanting to make uh, you know get better at the uh, the pass rush, which is of course something they would continue. I'm sorry, the uh, uh, against the run, I apologize. Uh, something they want to get better would and they continue to address that in days two and three, which we'll get to here later in the week. Um, but definitely a guy with a lot of potential, and you know if he's brought along and groomed the right way then hopefully they have their new, you know, bookend tandem uh, as we move and transition on from, you know, the days of Jan and, and Calais Campbell, of course. So I, I, uh, I'm very interested to see 
how it goes. Of course, you would prefer to have both the Josh Allen and a Calais Campbell for him to learn from. But nonetheless, you know, Josh Allen definitely took in a lot from Calais. There was a really, a really major, you know, big brother, little brother vibe going on between those two all season long. So I, I definitely am confident that Josh will do whatever he can to bring along uh, Caleb on. So we'll see uh, how that pans out. And, you know, like you said, I'm, and I'm pretty sure right before the pick happened, we, we assumed it was going to be pass rusher and he was, I believe the best one on the board at the time. So again, another pick that I'm on board with and uh, we will see how it pans out. And, and, and hopefully, like you said, we'll be seeing him and Josh Allen get to the quarterback for years and years to come. So I uh, want to transition here, Jay, into some of the comments that were made and this was Doug Marone's and Dave Caldwell's media availability Thursday night after round one. I want to talk about a couple of things here in general. We'll start off with the first one uh, that I, I thought was a little comical. And, uh, you know, it just kind of speaks to how these how these guys, when, when I say these guys, I'm talking about Doug Marone, Dave Caldwell, have to, you know, tiptoe their way through some of these questions. Uh, the question was asked, to, uh, to Doug Marone, uh, he, to, he was asked to speak on the character of the two players that the team drafted and how it compares to past and current players. Uh, Doug Marone said, I think the one thing that is clear is we are not looking at it and comparing C.J. Henderson and have, been, uh, and have been comparing him to anyone we've had, whether it be Jalen or A.J. Boye or comparing Calevon Chason to anyone on our team or anyone like Calais that is not around. What I will say is we lost players at those positions, so when you look at what we were looking for, we were fortunate in my opinion. So Jay, there's a, <laughs> he took a, a lot of sentences to not really say too much there uh, <laughs> is what I got from, uh, from coach Marone. So what do you think? Do you think it really, you know, there was a conscious effort to bring in guys that are going to be right for the locker room, as opposed to, we talked about this before. There were just way too many alphas in the room before uh, you know, from 2017 and on. And now they're trying to go in a different direction. So do you think that was a conscious decision for them to go with guys that specifically CJ Henderson, who was a little bit quieter, he's the complete opposite of Jalen. Now there, there was a big buzz made of CJ's reaction when he was drafted, but that's just who he is guys. He, uh, I think it's um, the, the photographer, Logan, Logan Bowles, I think is his name. I'm, I'm so sorry if I'm pronouncing his name incorrectly, but he talked about how CJ was the most difficult person for him to get any kind of emotion out of. He, this is just who he is. So he's the complete opposite in terms of personality uh, as far as Jalen. So Jay, speak on that a little bit as far as the Jags wanting to bring in the right guys for their locker room. Yeah, first off, yeah, I think it is Logan Bowles. And shout out to Logan Bowles, who I, I can't believe we never mentioned this, but I think we met Logan Bowles in Dallas when we were at the uh, the draft that night, like at the bars, at the playground bar. And uh, he actually walked up on me. He was like, nice hat, man. Oh, my man. God. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah. So he was like, nice hat, man. I was like, thanks, man. I'm a Jags fan. And um, I'm here covering the draft and, and so on and so forth. And he's like, I am too. And, you know, I, I never uh, reached back out to him on Twitter or reached back out to him on uh, Instagram or whatever uh, to say, hey, man, what's up or whatever. But shout outs to Logan. And this is us reaching back out to Logan. We, You know what? We need to get Logan on here, man. And we'll we'll talk to him about some. Yeah, what he does. So, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> that's a funny story about Logan, man. It's how we met him. Uh, accidentally in in Dallas downtown Dallas at that but um yeah in terms of um what you were saying about yeah the personalities and 
in terms of the effort to get in the right character guys yeah the jaguars aren't fooling anybody now albeit now they are right about like the most important thing that they looked at of course was you know how are these these guys as players uh, you know and that you know that goes without saying but both can be right you could be looking for very good players with very good character as well and I think that was definitely a trend that the Jacksonville Jaguars were looking at. Like you said, Henderson is a very, very quiet young man. And like you said, with, with Logan, it's hard to get emotion out of him. That's not the first time I heard that um, the coach from uh, the Gators coach, I forget his name is escaping me right now, but he said it too in the um, in the media availability. Uh, he, he joined the Zoom conference, if you will. And he was talking about Henderson as well. And he said it too. It was hard for him to get emotion out of him as well aside from you know on the field when he you know making a tackle or making a pick or whatever the case may be but you know he's just a a chilled and and mellow guy so you know that's not necessarily a bad thing like you could do your job and be mellow that's how I was as a player um in high school so uh, yeah I, I think like they really really did put a lot into that um and I think like you know I don't even necessarily want to say that you know, the Jaguars had bad people in their locker room before. It was just like you said, you hit the nail on the head, Phil, when you said it. They just had too many personalities and a, a mix of personalities that, you know, I guess you could say, dare I say now, and I guess we could look back at it now and say probably didn't clash well. And I also think they had um, some some players that I think they could have been more mature and handled success better. I think that didn't help them, you know, when, when they went to the 2017 AFC Championship uh, from all of the things we hear and read, uh, they they didn't handle the aftermath of that well as well, and you know they didn't react like a a team that had been there before. Which you know, like we we see the Patriots do it all the time. It's a reset with them. You know, hey, we won championship. It's like the next day, Bill Belichick is just back to mellow mellow Bill Belichick, like nothing happened, and he's back in the film room trying to get the next championship. And you would like to see that kind of maturity. Uh, out of the jazz locker room and just out of the organization in general but that being said I do think it'll help reset the culture in the locker room Um, and I I do think like I think they'll get along a little bit better not saying that they didn't exactly get along before but I think this group will definitely have no no difficulty fitting in and getting along and I think it'll definitely help them for the better heading forward. Yeah, it's definitely not the worst thing to have guys in the locker room, you know, that are not necessarily, I would say, uh, not going to cause trouble. But as far as just, you know, viewing themselves, as, you know, and in more of a and more viewing things in more of a team aspect. So there's definitely nothing wrong with that. And because you definitely don't get better by taking a guy like Calais out of the locker room. Um, but you may get better when you have a personality like CJ, who is going to be you know, who's not going to show up to training camp with a Brinks truck or go on Sports Illustrated and say, oh, Ben Roethlisberger's trash or this quarterback is trash. You know, not that I didn't enjoy those things, because honestly, I did. As a fan, I really enjoyed them. But from a, <laughs> yeah, me too. From a uh, you know, from a logistics perspective and the optics of things, not really the best look, especially like you said, they did not act like they had been there before. You know, they were, you know, just look to to when they came back from the divisional round against Pittsburgh and they they go out into the field and Jalen Ramsey said, we're going to the Super Bowl and we go win that. And you know what I'm saying? So, like, you're not going to get that out of C.J. Henderson as much as we love those times. You know, a different approach is probably needed 
going forward. But you know, I, I will hold those <laughs> those those uh, memories near and dear to my heart. Uh, moving on to uh, some other questions here that that Doug Marone fielded when he was asked if uh, they had considered taking a uh, you know maybe taking somebody else at nine and taking another corner at twenty. Uh, he was uh, he responded. Uh, we felt like there could be some corners at twenty that we liked, but we didn't like as much as CJ. Obviously, you heard different takes across the league of some teams liking CJ as the best corner in the draft, and we certainly feel he has the upside to be that in time. Uh, again, we've kind of talked about this already, so Jay, not going to ask you to elaborate on that too much, but you definitely take a corner in the top ten because you believe he has the ability to be that guy to be the number one guy and of course we're we're going to expect him to be so because they spent such high draft capital on him so jay this is actually a question i think i asked you last week before the draft actually happened um but it was regarding a different corner though i believe it was aj terrell so aj terrell having had some struggles against really big time competition specifically lsu now everybody had struggles against LSU, but what do you see out of CJ? Do you think that will make him a, a number one corner? Uh, there's a, you know, there's the, there's some really good tape from him in the LSU game. Um, I think of course, matching up with Jamar chase. Um, I'm a, I would, I love that rundown play he had against Tennessee. So what is it about CJ that would present fans with a lot of optimism as far as him actually becoming that guy? Yeah, going back to what you were saying on uh, Marone's comments, you know, about, you know, how others probably value him as well. And yeah, again, going back to what I was saying, it's kind of telling like the cornerbacks that went after Henderson was taken. So like what Marone said makes a lot of sense, because when you look at it in chronological order, the Jags taking Henderson and then the next cornerback that came off the board was A.J. Terrell. There is a huge drop off between A.J. Terrell and Henderson, which is what you kind of asked me too, like what's the difference between him and the guys that went in the first round in a roundabout way? But yeah, you look at that; it is a big difference between uh, Henderson and AJ a. Terrell. Which again, like you said, we actually talked on that last week, or we talked on AJ Terrell. Is the big thing like for me? If I were to do a scout report right now on AJ Terrell, the big thing for me is that AJ Terrell didn't see a lot of top-notch competition, and then when he saw it. It was kind of foreign to him when he ran into Jamar Chase. It was a difficulty for him. And I I said this on Fox Sports uh, Radio in Valdosta because, you know, of course, they covered the Falcons and uh, being a Georgia station and all of that. But that's not to say I don't think A.J. Terrell can develop into a very good corner. He just needs more exposure to a top flight top type of uh, receivers. And, you know, he'll get plenty of that in the NFL. You know, they're probably going to throw him in the furnace and he's probably going to start immediately. But when you talk about ready right now in terms of being a prospect and who uh, Henderson has faced off in the names, like you said, Jamar Chase, uh, Justin Jefferson, uh, the trio from over there in Alabama, you know, Ruggs and and, um, Judy and whatnot. You know, when you look at what Henderson has faced, uh, you know, yeah, it is his his resume is significantly better than that of A.J. Terrell. So and I think that's what separates them is, you know, is what he put on film in comparison to what they put on film in terms of how he handled the elite guys. So Henderson is is miles ahead of A.J. Terrell in that category. And then Noah Igbenogany. The thing with him was, you know, we we said this in the, pre, uh, in the past podcast. Noah, the thing about him is he was just raw and new to the position. He came to Auburn 
as a receiver. And the thing is, like, he's still developing at the cornerback position. So Henderson is significantly more developed than him. And then, you know, Jeff Gladney, the thing with Jeff Gladney, albeit a lot of people kind of critique Henderson's size. Henderson, you know, he has decent size. He's what, 6'1", somewhere along the lines of 204 pounds. So he does have decent size. Um, I think he can rock up a little bit more. But the thing with him in comparison to Jeff Gladney is he has the size over Gladney because that was the knock on Gladney. He's only 5'10", 195 pounds. And that's kind of the knock on Terrell, too. He's only 195, although he's like 6'1", and long and and lanky as all get out. But So, yeah, just comparing Henderson to those guys that went in the first round, yeah, it's a huge drop-off in some form or another between him and what he offers in terms of the competition or size or whatever the case may be or experience against Igbenogany that he offered that those guys just simply don't have right now. Right. And, you know, we've talked a little bit about the drop-off that some people thought there was between Okuda and Henderson. But Jay, wouldn't you say that the drop off between Henderson and everybody else is even is far more significant than it was between Okuda and Henderson? Yes, and that's a very good point. You know, a lot of people and Pete Prisco, I think, said this. A lot of people didn't really see that big of a gap between Okuda and Henderson, to be honest with you. A lot of the league circles, at least not like the people on the web and Twitter and whatnot did. So, you know, the league saw them very closely matching. You know, I, I think Daniel Jeremiah said that a little bit. Uh, in terms of like, you know, that some people do feel like they are a little closely matched and was believed on the Internet. And I could believe that. And I do think they are closely matched in terms of, you know, what they do on the field. The only thing is that, like Jeremiah said, uh, Okuda is just an all around better cornerback. And not only that, he's also a better tackler. Uh, that was really the only things that he had over Henderson. So, yeah, yeah, I don't think it was that significant of a gap. And that that makes the selection of him at nine make more sense. Yeah, absolutely. Another one of the reasons why, you know, as the days went on, I was I was much more OK with the pick than I was initially. And I and I put this in the group chat, Jay, with uh, with Coach Nick, who we had on a couple weeks ago. And we're going to have on again this week. Really excited to have Nick back on is I, I can admit <laughs> when I'm having a little bit of Florida bias because I just I cannot stand the University of Florida. I'm sorry if you're a fan of them. Great. But <laughs> I just cannot stand them. I probably would have felt a little bit differently at the time if he was wearing a different jersey. But that's neither here nor there. I I just wanted to, <laughs> to say that I I know when I'm able to admit uh, some of my biases. But uh, moving Yo, on. Phil, yeah. In your defense, man. Jarathan, Florida players hasn't really worked out for the Jaguars either. So, you know what I'm saying? So, like, you you kind of make a point about that. Like, it, Reggie Nelson, uh, you know, should I go on? Derek Harvey, uh, Taven Bryan, who, you know, kind of came on midway through the season. And, you know, the, you know he still has a, a possibility to become a very good player. But, yeah, you're right, man. Like, it really – that also probably played into it, too, when they selected Henderson. Oh, boy. A lot of those – a lot of those names just gave me PTSD. Thanks a lot for bringing them up. But uh, moving on to something that you had teased there uh, a little bit earlier when uh, when asked about Caleb uh, uh, on specifically, uh, they said this is a guy that is really multifaceted and we can play in some three, four looks, obviously with Josh Allen and him. And I think uh, he offers a bunch of versatility on our defense with those two guys and Yannick. So, 
one thing, of course, still still talking about Yannick as if he's going to be here. I don't know if we believe that's going to be the case. But, of course, if he's still on the roster, they're going to proceed as if he's going to be around. But, and this really came into, into light with uh, the day two picks, I think, two and three. Looks like the Jags are going to be going to a 3-4 defense and, and some base sets here. What do you think about the switch there? And, and I, I'm sure we'll get into it more with uh, the other episode we're going to release later this week. But what were your initial reactions to hearing uh, Coach Marone talk about switching things up defensively? Yeah, starting from the beginning of the offseason, it was looking like they were trending in that direction to begin with because Doug Marone kept hinting that we're going to do what's best for our players and put our players in you know the best position to win. And I think people's counter to, the, to that was, well, Will Todd Wash go for that? Because Todd Wash said last year, as long as he's around, this team is going to basically be a 4-3 team. So that kind of contradicted last year's statements. But it makes all of the sense in the world that Doug Marone was saying, hey, we're going to put our our players in this position because all along the Jaguars had a lot of 3-4 pieces, although they had been running a 4-3. And at times they had been running a 4-3 well. But at the same time, they had pieces to be a 3-4 team too. You argue that they could have been like a, a more more of a hybrid team, if you will. Uh, but you, you look at what they had. You know, Tavon Bryan played in the 3-4 in college. Uh, Calais Campbell at the time, now he, you know, he got traded. Calais Campbell came from a 3-4 scheme with the uh, Arizona Cardinals. And, and they had, uh, you know, some others out there. Marcel Darius at the time could have been a nose tackle in a 3-4 defense. So the pieces were there. And I think what the Jaguars realized is that, like, hey, we are one or two pieces away, although we traded some guys away and let some guys go in free agency or released them. We're one or two, three pieces away from just being, you know, being able to, to trot out a 3-4 scheme out there predominantly. And uh, that's how they attack this draft. And that's what kind of, you know, tipped their hat, if you will. Uh, and in terms of the the media saying like, okay, like, you know, we already had a suspicion that y'all were going to be a 3-14. Like taking Chase on really, really, in this case, really tipped the hat. And then the pick we'll talk about later on the next episode uh, is that of um, Devon Hamilton, who uh, I did a lot of studying on too, who, who came up as a sleeper late for me, by the way, um, after the combine. Uh, but a guy that I had, you know, my eye on, I actually mocked him to the Jags once in the fourth round on the Jags wire mocked. And uh, now he's a Jaguar. But, you know, that pick as well, which we'll talk about later, because he's a nose tackle. But, he, you know, he has some versatility too. Uh, he could do a little bit of everything too. He, he's more agile than people think. But those two picks were like what tipped their hand, and then the media, of course, started asking about it. And Doug Marone finally came out and you know admitted what like a lot of the people in the media had already knew the Pete Prisco's of the world. Um, and you know I, I think T. Wig even spoke on this, but he came out to confirm, yeah, we're going to be using more three four in the base. And uh, so yeah, that pick of uh, Chase Sun should definitely help them get going in that direction. They talked about putting him in two-point stance, um, talked about him playing some Sam linebacker, which is, you know, that's a stand for like the strong side linebacker. And they also um, talked about, you know, Dave Caldwell also mentioned him putting his hand in the dirt as well too. So, you know, you you would think it's going to be some hybrid stuff going on there as well. So they think he can do it both, like from two-point stance and three-point stance, but I think he's going to be predominantly used from a two-point stance. And then he just offers that coverage ability. Like when I watched Calevon on film, that's one thing I forgot to mention with the pros. It was times where I saw him like 30 yards down the field covering somebody. I was like, wait, what is he doing that far down the field? And it's like, oh, 
like you go back and look at the play, it's like he was actually covering somebody out there. So he has that kind of athletic athletic ability too. And uh, yeah, I think like, you know, this could really help the Jazz for the better. They'll have growing pains, of course. Like you don't just transition into like more of being a predominantly 3-4 team after being a 4-3 team and there not be, you know, some growing pains with it. But I think in time um, that they can get in the right direction. I think the biggest question is, uh, you know, how Ty Wash teaches a 3-4 because we've never uh, seen him really run one like to that degree um, and, and and ultimately, I guess time will tell what the future holds for him. Yeah, just like you mentioned there, Jay. As far as Caleb on, like seeing him all over the field was eye opening. <laughs> I did not know that he had that kind of versatility, which is what Coach was talking about there in that specific quote. So very, very excited to see how they use him. And you know, this is kind of we're kind of coming into an age now where you know, not necessarily positionless football. Uh, like there is in like say a sport like basketball but you know a guy that you can move around quite a bit of course we saw saw another guy in this draft Isaiah Simmons go just to pick uh, before CJ but uh, moving on to the last thing you know we'll talk about here and, and then we'll wrap up here in just a moment um, Dave Caldwell was asked if there was consideration on taking an offensive lineman at nine and he said I think the one that we may have considered was probably gone at the time which leads us to uh, you know pretty much assume that it was the offensive lineman, of course, out of Georgia, who you're very familiar with, Andrew Thomas, who, of course, went number four to the New York Giants. Now, at the time, uh, Jedrick Wills and Makai Becton were still on the board. They went numbers 10 and 11, respectively. So right after the Jaguars picked, those two offensive linemen were off the board. And then Tristan Wirfs went uh, just a couple of picks later at number 13. Uh, So now... Would you have liked to see them now? Of course, we're speaking in just, you know, hypotheticals or alternate timelines here. But do you think if Andrew Thomas had been available, he would have been the pick at nine over CJ Henderson? Uh, Or do you think they would have been more inclined to select one of the other names that were still on the board when they actually did select at nine? Yeah, if I had to choose, I think if Thomas was still there, I think he would be the pick. And I only we only really have history to go by with that. And um, I say that in the sense that the Jaguars have drafted a big tackle from the SEC before. That was Luke Jokel. Of course, that didn't work out. But history says, you know, they they aren't scared to take an offensive tackle that high when I mean, well, I guess, you know, now I think about it. History says they would take a cornerback there, too, because they took Jalen Ramsey before they took Henderson. But uh, yeah, but I just thought Henderson or should I say, um, Thomas, uh, I think that, that Thomas just fit them to a T uh, to the point where I think they probably would have pulled the trigger and moved Cam Robinson to guard, perhaps. A lot of people say they don't think Cam Robinson can play guard, but I think like the league value Andrew Thomas so high and, and respecting him so much more higher than that was another thing. Like they valued him so much more higher than like the internet and draft Twitter and some others. Of course, not me because I, I know like what Andrew Thomas can do and what he's capable of. Like I literally just talked about him shutting uh, Caleb on down for a full game, although Georgia lost that game handily. Uh, but, you know, the proof was in the pudding of how the league viewed Andrew Thomas. And he went fourth overall to David Gettleman. Kudos to Tony Pauline. He came on our podcast on the last episode and told us that. And I was like, that makes a ton of sense because David Gettleman is an old school guy, likes those old school type of tackles. Uh, and the things you were hearing from the league and the scouts and the circles was they loved 
him for the most part. At least the teams in the top 10 really love uh, Andrew Thomas. So um, I think, yeah, it was it's a strong possibility that he may have been the pick uh, at the same time. You know, they've shown this reluctance to move on from their offensive line in general, and they've shown this reluctance to move on from Cam Robinson at left tackle. Now, you know, you can make the argument and it's the right argument that he deserves another chance because last year he was coming off of ACL tear. So we'll see. Uh, but they they stressed that uh, before the draft in their pre-draft meetings. They were saying, hey, like we really like this offensive line. And basically, I think in a roundabout way, what they were saying is like we think the offensive line we saw last year is not necessarily as bad as, you know, they, they didn't play to their potential, basically. You know, they're not that bad. They are significantly better than what we saw last year. And, hey, you know, maybe they're even saying, you know, they're they're beating around the bush with it, but maybe they're even saying, like, we may not have the right person that running back. You know, I don't know if anybody ever thought about that either. Like, they haven't said it, but maybe they are saying it without saying it. We all know how that goes. But uh, that said, I guess we'll never know. Um, I would have been I would have definitely been happy with Andrew Thomas. Um, I'm happy with Henderson, too. I'm not exactly upset about it. But, yeah, you know, as a Georgia Bulldog fan, I would have been jumping to the sky for that one. But that's just me personally. And it wasn't too surprising, Jay, that some of the Twitter interactions had a lot of people interested in us taking an offensive lineman. Again, harping back to keeping Gardner protected and maybe even opening up some holes for Leonard Fournette and which that will transition into our final topic here, Jay, uh, Dave Caldwell. And this was actually after night two of the draft. So I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but I wanted to address it here. Uh, Dave Caldwell was asked about if uh, Leonard Fournette's status and he was quoted as saying, to be honest, I don't have a whole lot to add. I don't think there's any news there. And I think if there was, we would probably give it to you. Of course, Rumors started to circulate right before the draft that Leonard Fournette was on the trade block. They did, I believe, address running back later on in the draft. If I'm not, I, I don't know why it's it's totally slipping me right now here, Jay. But I, no, they, they did not. They, okay, so they did not. Draft guys, though. Right. So I, I didn't think that they had actually addressed that, and, and we had been huge, huge, uh, you know, supporters of them going running back in the later rounds. But that, of course did not happen. So Jay, what do you think, you know, you just kind of alluded to it before we started recording that, you know, they, they seem to have faith in the offensive line. Do you think that maybe they're, they're confident in that offensive line itself and that maybe learn, you know, Leonard could be the problem. And and do you still think before this, before this season begins, we're going to move on from them? I think they're stuck with them to be honest with you. And you can tell from, the uh, stuff that was coming out during the draft, I think it was Adam Schefter that said the Jags tried to uh, that the Bucks at least looked into acquiring Leonard Fournette. And it was another team that I don't know if it was Schefter or somebody else said uh, another like running back needy team looked into getting Leonard Fournette. I forgot who it was, but, you know, it looks like it was teams that reached out to the Jags. I don't know if the Jags like, quote unquote, entertained it. Uh, but it, I guess you could say it was more so teams inquiring about getting Leonard Fournette. That doesn't mean they exchanged like, you know, compensation or said, yeah, we'll do it or whatever the case may be. Uh, but, yeah, I think what it was is like the Jaguars probably had it in their mind that it would be OK to trade Leonard Fournette for the right price. Um, but they just couldn't simply get the compensation they wanted or, they, you know, they might not have got the traction they wanted at all in terms of um trading Leonard Fournette so I think like you know they more they more so may be stuck with him and look man like the thing about Leonard is man he's talented as all get out 
you know, he's a good person too. Like we, this is the thing. Like, I think if you ask most of us, we would love to keep Leonard Fournette on the team. Um, and especially, you know, after like he had the interaction with the fans on the zoom and everything, man, like he's just like perfect in terms of interacting with the fans and this, that, and the other, but it's just when he's gone on the field, whatever, for whatever reason, it's never all come together. Like I said, the first year, uh, he had a good season, but he couldn't quite hit four yards to carry, which is important for a running back. Uh, the year before that, he couldn't stay on the field. And then this year he couldn't really get in the end zone. So, you know, maybe if he puts it all together this year, the Jaguars hold on to him and, you know, he has that quote unquote complete season, which, you know, you, we're rooting for the guy. And he's a great guy for his um community, too, and the Jaguars community. That's the number one thing like I like about him. And that's why I want him to stick around. Um, But again, it's just a matter of putting it all together. And yes, I do think he's going to take the field with them this year. Um, I think this is going to be a trial year for him. I think they're coming up on the time to make a decision on the fifth-year option. I would think they're not going to exercise the fifth-year option, and they're going to use 2020 to see if Leonard Fournette puts it all together. If he does, you give him a contract extension. If not, you could just let him go on about his way. So I think that's how they're going to go into this year uh, when it comes to an approach on him. Absolutely. And and you just mentioned there him jumping in on the Zoom session with some uh, people from, you know, the 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 Jaguar fan base, which I think is just really cool. You know what I mean? Like a lot of players aren't going to do that. And every interaction I've had with Leonard Fournette, you know, mostly at like training camps, he's he's been great. You know what I mean? Of course, we've gotten irritated with him as far as some of the offseason things that have gone on. Um, but that's also, again, and, and this is something I even have to remind myself sometimes, just trying to remind or remind people that, you know, these are young men still trying to figure things out for ourselves. I know, you know, Jay and I, Jay, I, I can speak for you. I think we're still trying to figure this, this thing out, you know, as far as just navigating yeah. through life as a man and as a person. And, you know, yeah. he's just going through journalism. Exactly. <laughs> and navigate through journalism and our jobs. We're in the same, we're in the same boat. You're right. As Leonard Fournette. And another thing is like, like you said, man, like in the interactions I've had with them in training camp, you know, we haven't been, well, I've been to a few credential, uh, I've been to a few Jaguars practice credential, but not many, but the few that I have been to as a fan, just as an everyday fan, mostly with you and the other guys, it's like, he's been down to earth and cool, man. Like you can't help but root for the guy and hope he puts it all together. But yeah, I agree with you. Exactly. So, you know, he and and he is trying to navigate this thing in the spotlight. You know what I mean? We can kind of do it a little bit in the background. You know, if we mess up, it's not as big of a deal as when it happens to Leonard Fournette. So I would I would like to see him here and and especially in the long run, especially with the type of legacy that Jacksonville has built at the running back position, you know, with starting off with going back all the way to James Stewart and then Natron Means and then Fred Taylor and then Maurice Jones Drew. And now, you know, we were hoping that Leonard Fournette was going to be that guy. But, you know, there's I, I still think there is an opportunity for him to to do those uh, to do good things. And uh, I, I really genuinely do hope it works out for him. So, again, something we'll have to keep an eye on. And ultimately, if you know, see if if they decide to move him or move on from him early or see how things pan out uh, this year. So uh, that's it pretty much for this episode here, Jay, uh, we know it took a long time and it was just the, just round one. And we're excited to talk about days two and three with our buddy Nick Trist here in the next couple of days. So that episode will be out later this week. Uh, Jay, let them know. I mean, now that the draft is over, 
we can look forward to, you know, the uh, off season and training camps, which hopefully everything gets back to normal very, very soon. Of course, I did want to mention, we hope that you guys are all safe and healthy in your homes. And, you know, as we slowly begin to reopen the country, just make sure to continue to be safe so we can, you know, keep this thing on the downswing and, uh, you know, hopefully, we will all be together uh, watching Jaguar games very, very soon. So, Jay, let people know what they have to look forward to, not only here on the podcast, but also, of course, over on the wire. Yeah, man, the draft is over, but, uh, you know, we got to cover some draft aftermath and we got to see if uh, what the official uh, undrafted free agency class, they haven't confirmed that yet. In terms of the official guys, you know, we've had the rumors and who speculated to be signing with us, but... Um, you never know until like the pins on the paper and the Jaguars officially report it and, uh, you know, put it on the site and what have you. So we'll be looking out for that. Um, and and pretty much after that, you know, it'll be looking on into the uh, offseason for the Jaguars or the summer part of the season and the spring part of the season as they start their uh, very unique virtual uh meetings i guess you could say or their their virtual workouts is how they're putting it which i think that's going to be interesting and uh you know we'll have to navigate through the covid-19 thing and see where that leads us into the season uh but yep definitely will be a lot of content going forward despite the draft being over on the jaguars wire absolutely you guys and as always we are committed to bringing you the best jaguars content on the internet so thank you so much for joining us that's James Johnson at SportsGrind underscore Don. I'm Phil Smith, a.k.a. Phil the Filipino. Again, if you're enjoying the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. And also make sure you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and tune in. Remember, you can find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. This has been the Believe in the Jaguars podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. We believe. Do you? We'll see you next time, guys. 